0: I wonder if we can pet him. Can Hi, you, boy. Can we touch
1: him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in the Melton Law Studio protected by Crime Prevention twenty four seven three sixty five 365 in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, which just happens to be God's country. Uh, looking out upon a pasture full of happy cattle and uh, getting a little warmer today and they're starting to put their heads down. I just hope nature doesn't trick them again because there is some green shoots coming up. I mean, quite a bit of green in the pasture. We got Ted here knows more about this than I do. And um, I look at their heads, Ted, to see what they're up to. They tell me how they're doing if they're down on the ground instead of looking at me. (laughs) That's Those
0: tender green shoots.
1: That's a green shoot. So we have Ted Yo with us on Wednesday. Boy, it's a great asset to the show. I mean, he's really... Um, if you say he says he's going to do something, he does it. I, and that's why he's not in DC anymore, I guess, because um, he and I just really had a tough time. Um, uh, I know because we conversed about this, uh, as I'm sure many of you did, uh, watching the Ward Scott files and listing, um, looking at the state of the union contradictions, uh, that just are really, uh, sort of out to lunch. I mean, it's just so crazy that somebody can stand up there and be that disconnected, but when you think about it. Uh, our current president has never lived anywhere else but there. Um, right. I don't know if he's ever watched the heads of cattle down on the grass, and maybe wouldn't know which end of the one is the dangerous part of the uh, climate change problem. So, <laughs> which he's busy subsidizing the heck out of in order to try to get that riddle figured out. Crazy things like that. So we've got uh, Ted Yoho with us, who is currently. Uh, we're going to entice him one more time to do this. He's in the Bahamas. Can you just give them a tease of what's behind you, Ted? Uh, Okay.
0: Okay. For you you and your audience, I will.
1: Okay. There we are. That's the long suffering, if you will. Oh, my golly. Uh, Location today for Mr. Ted Yoho. He is, oh, my golly. He's in uh, the great country there. Uh, Well, the
0: reason we're here, the reason we're here is we're celebrating. Our 48th anniversary, which is Valentine's Day, so Carolyn and I kind of treated ourselves to um, uh, a fun vacation. Well, you deserve it.
1: That's that's a that's um that's a fun place to be. So, um, if you all are watching, I see some people kick, uh, kicking into the chat line here. Uh, Eat your heart out, Ted is down there, but he's coming back today uh, to the good old. I guess it's a uh, Putnam
0: County, right? <laughs> <laughs> to, the to the good life community of Wilaka right on the second <laughs> Well, Top we're here. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, we are, are. I'm looking to chat line anything you want to talk about here. Well, I'll pick it up and pass it along. But let me just get the thing started right now, Ted, by saying that Perfect. I've looked through the uh, review of this already, which is hot out on the press by the uh, Wall Street Journal. And, uh, I'll throw some words out there and see if they resonate with you. Uh, you're getting a lot of happy anniversaries, by the way, comments here from our oh, thank you, Ted Yoho fans. Um, the State of the Union contradiction is what this is called today, in case you haven't seen it down there. Um, and uh, what is not uh, really um, accepted as an economic achievement uh, is the spending on the social programs and the subsidies for green energy, which uh, – really are counterintuitive you would think uh to um standing up on the podium bragging about anything and you mentioned before we went on the air that you suffered through a couple of these states of the union with obama um what's what's the what these things? say you know i don't think it's any longer the state of the union it's really the state of the disunion um there's been no well, union for quite some time <laughs> i would say it's since obama
0: well no yeah i mean you bring up a good point there and um uh... You know, President Obama, when, when I was there, you know, I served eight years there. So I've been through eight state of the unions and the arrogance and the um, uh, or four state of the unions, um, the arrogance that, they had, that he had, and I see that with Biden, taking credit for things he never did, like ending COVID. And, you know, you go back to when uh, Biden was and Kamala Harris were talking about they would never take this vaccine because it was created under Trump to taking credit for the vaccine, and that's what got rid of COVID. Uh, Newsflash, COVID will never go away. It's a virus. You're not going to kill the virus. You can uh, get rid of the disease it causes or really lessen it. But, I mean, these people are just way off base, and, you know, I want to go into this, uh, you know, if you want to, you go ahead and lead, and I'll I'll respond or however you want to do it.
1: No, no, run with that a while because, uh, you know, it's a good thing. Let me hear, teach me.
0: You know, Republicans responded positively to Biden's bipartisan overtures and push for increasing U.S. manufacturing jobs. And he, Biden, he acknowledged that the Democrats some, sometimes went it alone during the last Congress, including the passage of over $2.6 trillion in spending with no GOP support. This is the Democrats' playbook. They did this with Obamacare. They did this with a lot of the social reforms that they've done. They're doing that strictly... With uh, the wokeism, the CRT, the BLMs, all this stuff that they're doing, ESG, they are doing this alone. And so now he's calling for bipartisan support. And this is the same thing uh, Obama did. And um, he calls um, it's time for bipartisanship in this now divided Congress. And uh, to my Republican friends, he says, if we could work together in the last Congress, and I'm thinking, where did you work together in the last Congress? Certainly wasn't in the House. Um, Nancy Pelosi wouldn't even let Kevin McCarthy put members on the January 6th committee hearing that he wanted. And, um, you know, they did cage a few Republicans, your Mitt Romney's and uh, 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 Susan Collins and a a couple of those people to go along with some of their policies. But those policies aren't good for America. And um, he said the people sent us a clear message that fighting for the sake of fighting. Power for the sake of power, conflict for the sake of conflict, gets us nowhere. Let's go back to the last State of the Union, where Nancy Pelosi was sitting behind President Trump in those forever memorized pictures of her tearing up the speech in a bipartisan fashion. You know the Democrats are leading this Trump country in a in a, in a, a very socialist, Marxist direction. And then when they lose an election, they call for, let's work together. And they're, they're changing the fundamental fabric of America. And, and we can go through the rest of this. Um, you want me to keep going? Yeah, sure enough. <laughs> um, I like this one. And that's always been my vision for this country, to restore the soul of the nation, to rebuild the backbone of America, the middle class to unite the country, We've been sent here to finish the job. My notes are BS, but I can't say that, so that other word is sophistry. (laughs) To unite the nation, let's go back to January 6th, two years ago, calling the Trump MAGA supporters, domestic terrorists, unpatriotic, and a threat to our democracy, which I take offensive because we are a republic, not a democracy. Yes, we use democratic um, uh, election system, but we are a constitutional republic. And so many people up in Washington forget that, Uh, there is a constitution and we're supposed to follow it and we're not following it. It is a broke system and both sides are complicit in this. Um, he was talking about how many of the jobs have gone to China where labor laws are laxer and wages far lower. Now, keep in mind, you know, number one, I, I have to say, I think he either has an amnesia and I'm being kind, uh, because I think it's more dementia. Um, Because those jobs left, you and I talked about this with NAFTA back in the 90s, and they also left when uh, China got accepted into the WTO as a developing nation. And both those things happened under President Clinton. And guess who was in the Senate? (laughs) Our former president, President Biden, who supported these things. And we knew the jobs were going to go to Mexico and South America, anywhere but America, And we knew when China came in, those jobs were going to go to China. But now, oh, my gosh, we've got to get jobs back here in America. And, uh, you know, again, people need to remember history. And sometimes it's hard to remember the current history because you're living in it. But all you have to do is go back to NAFTA and the jobs that went south. And if you read the Congressional Research Service's report 25 years after NAFTA, it states this. It says one of the major goals of NAFTA was to raise the, um, the living wages in, in Mexico and Latin America by taking money, basically repatriation of money, to the Mexican labor force. And it never happened. But they say that was one of their major um, uh, focuses of NAFTA. They wanted to do that. That Inequality, equity, as we hear Kamala Harris and the, Demo- the Marxists talking about today. And um, you, you've got to be scared, uh, really worried about these uh, trade deals. And now we have uh, the USMCA, which is no better than NAFTA. But the scary thing is China is now the second largest economy. Sometimes it's the largest economy. They have the largest military. They have a blue water na- uh, navy, which is going to eclipse ours very soon. Uh, as far as weapons um, and technology, they they're they're advanced further than we are, and they have a space program, but yet they <laughs> they're they're still claimed uh, in the WTO, the World Trade Organization, developing nation status, and uh, you know these are things that we I tried to change when I was in Congress. We had bills to knock them out of that, um, but the Republicans just wouldn't do it because they were. They thought it was too aggressive. And I'm thinking it's time to be aggressive on this. Um, it was funny when he was calling for a resurgent in American manufacturing, uh, a message that the Republicans applauded to. The Republicans applauding for this is a little bit confusing to me because the only way you're going to bring back jobs back to this country is, number one, you have to have energy security. You can't have uh, high, high fuel prices because it drives everything up. And so this implies that we're going to have to have some form of fossil fuels, i.e. the Keystone Pipeline, more drilling, open up up the the, the, uh, oil leases in public lands, which this administration, the Biden administration, claims they have, but they have gummed up the permitting process so bad that our companies aren't willing to invest in this. And along with making this country's um, um, manufacturing and jobs market better, they're gonna to have to look at tax incentives to bring these companies back. And oh my God, that's tax incentives for manufacturers and big corporations. That is the antithesis of what the Democrats believe in. And, um, you know, um, they have to go after the regulations. And uh, um, uh, Congresswoman Kamik has put in the RAINS Act, which cuts back regulations. But let me remind the listeners. We put in the RAINS Act when I first got into Congress in 2013, and that was a a bill that the previous Congresses had put in. So this is one of those things they put in year after year after year, but it never goes anywhere. And if that gets passed, that'll be a good thing. So I'm going to hand it off to you, Board.
1: Well, I think it's uh, one little point of explanation. Uh, By being classified as a developing nation, uh, what does that um, do for them? That's bad for us. I guess that's Certain. when you enlarge that.
0: Well, when you're on the international level, the World Trade, um, the IMF, International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, they get favored loans at a very discounted rate. And so they, they can qualify for these very discounted rates at loans. So what they do is they take this money and then they invest it in uh, uh, communist Chinese party owned businesses and any business that's in business in China today, foreign or domestic, is granted that by having the Chinese government own 51% of that. In addition, especially if it's in a foreign com- country, but we're worried about American countries, companies, they have to put a CCP member, a Chinese Communist Party member on their board that directs everything. And so here China has uh, developing nation status. So they get privileged uh, loans and guarantees and interest rates on the IMF. And guess who's paying a lot, a large portion of the IMF funding. We are the American taxpayer. and And for China to claim this today, when they're the second largest economy and those other things I just mentioned is something that needs to change because it gives them an advantage and look at what they've done. They're, they're stealing our technology. They're creating military um, uh, weapons that are superior than ours, unfortunately. And I hate to say that, I wouldn't say across the board, but I know they have outpaced us on their hypersonic weapons. And I forget, I read that the other day. I think they said those weapons can travel at over 3,600 meters per second. And so by the time they fire it, it's hit ours before we even know what came. And this comes by the technologies they've stolen. The technology, if you go back under Clinton, we transferred a lot of the science and technologies that we had at that time to the Chinese government, and we did that. To help them get a little stronger to fend off Russia, because our big concern at that time was Russia. And uh, it's something that's hurt us, and it was done at the expense of the American taxpayer. And it's done at the expense of our national security.
1: Well, the disconnect is apparent to <clears throat> like us, and I'm sure to a lot of our listeners and viewers, doesn't seem to be aware of disconnect in his head. He really believes... That up is down and down is up. And that if you don't see the world the way he sees it, or the Democrats, there must be something wrong with you, <laughs> the guy who doesn't see it the way they do it. Um, the you disconnect is clear in the polls. His job approval rating is way down, 44%. Gallup has it at 41%. And uh, it, it hovers really, when you check them all out, it's around 38%. Uh, 41% of Americans say they're worse off financially. Um, only 16% say they're better off. Yet this message never gets through. Um, what, what's the, how do we get it through,
0: you know? Well, you, you can thank your big media and big tech companies. You know, they're, they're the big tech tech companies, especially, you know, they screen that stuff and suppress that stuff on social media. People are out there complaining about this. All you have to do is talk to the working person out there today. They're complaining about how their wages are up, but their spending power has been decreased. You know, and Biden is insisting that the economy is strong and growing. Um, and it says that Republicans rejected this. Look at where we're at. We're at high inflation, high energy, high interest, short supply on the chain of equipment or, you know, materials. There's high demand for that stuff. So the real wage earnings to these costs have decreased. So Americans, like you just said, are worse off. And you know Biden's got dementia or whatever you want to call it because he thinks this is a great economy. Now, keep in mind who Joe Biden is. He is a guy that lied his way through law school. He got elected. He's been in government his whole entire life. So he really is, is a person that thinks government is the solution. And a government job doesn't add value to the economic base of America because you're taking money from taxpayers to give a government job that creates no value is like versus like a manufacturing um, company that builds ladders or whatever they build. They're out there selling that. They're selling a product. Government is is shuffling money around and providing services, and there is value in that, but it's not the kind that creates wealth for a nation it creates a burden on the nation in the tax structure um and 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 biden is a product of that nancy pelosi is and anybody that has served from high school or college and gone to washington paul ryan's a great example of this on the republican side and there are several other ones up there all they know is a government job and so to them that is what the solution i remember when nancy pelosi was in speaker Uh, Speaker of the House, um, she was promoting why food stamps are the best way to stimulate the economy. You give people more food stamps, they're going to go out and buy more food. Well, uh, I try to rationalize that. I'm like, I could see where that could be a short term stimulus, but it's going to be a long term uh, drag on the economy because you've got people that are just recirculating money. And the way the government stays up with that is they print more money. And when they print more money, it devalues the current value of our money today. And that's why you have a car costing $70,000, $80,000 or a starter home costing almost $300,000 because one of the things is the value of our dollar has gone down and it's because of these crazy policies.
1: We got a concerned citizen here. I know you and I don't have the answer to this, but the reasoning for a six year Senate term only a two-year term for a congressman. Um, that's set up by the founding fathers. I mean, that's, that's, that, was the, that was the formula.
0: Um, it was. And if you... Uh, uh, James Madison, I'm reading a book on him right now, and he says there's three types of people that go to Washington that are going to be elected leaders. And keep in mind when he wrote this, this was in the 17, late 1770s, early 1780s. He said, there's the legislator that goes there for personal gain. They go there, they can vote for things that favor them and their friends. There's the person that goes there for the altruistic reason. You know, I'm here to serve my country, not my country to serve me. And then there's the third person that gets put into office, you know, kind of like an Obama that people can manipulate or like Biden, you know, Biden, I mean, he doesn't come up with good policies. I think that's Well, stated. Um, Just look at the balloon incident from um, the Chinese balloon. Um, They get in in office because people know they can manipulate them and they can get them to vote the way they want to. So, um, going back to what you were saying, you know, two years in the House, six years in the Senate, they had written this uh, back then because they knew there needed to be some kind of a balance in there that one could, you know, the Senate's always called the, um, the, the tea plate to the saucer of hot coffee or tea because it cools things down. The House is kind of the more emotional, you know, uh, rapid things are going in there and a more knee-jerk reaction. The Senate is supposed to be a little bit more mature, a little bit calmer. <clears throat> but going back to the two years and six years, keep in mind, we the people ultimately have control of that. And if you don't like the people in there, you don't, not, not even don't like, them. if you don't like the results, throw them out, throw them out. And you're going to hear, oh, these people that have served a long time have institutional knowledge and wisdom. That's true. But keep in mind, these people with institutional knowledge and wisdom that have been there a long time, they have either led us to where we are at, or they fail to prevent it. And so if you don't like where we're at, Look at our debt. We're $43.5 trillion in debt. Yeah, forty. I think it's $43 trillion. And this is in 2023. When I left, we were at uh, $32 trillion in debt. When I got in, we were at $13.5 trillion in debt. And that was in 2013. We are going the wrong way. And people like Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, Steny Hoyer, all these old players that are in there for a long time, they have failed to deliver for the American people. And these are really the serious problems we have to do. So going back to the two uh, two years in the House, uh, again, we the people have that. Um, I know one of the rules um, that the Freedom Caucus fought for is to bring up a term limit act, and Kevin McCarthy will bring it. And you're gonna hear your politicians say, oh, I support that. But when it comes time to pass, if it passes in the House, it'd be Republicans only. I'll guarantee you that the leadership of the Republican Party will prevent it from coming up in the House. That's provided we had the majority in the Senate. Chuck Schumer, in no way, no how, (laughs) there's no way he would ever bring that up because he would be limiting his own self.
1: Yeah, and Congress, as we pointed out here in our analysis in the journal, has uh, trillions of dollars of new spending with just narrow, narrow majorities. And basically, these progressive priorities have um, been based upon racial division and climate alarmism and really don't have proper legal authority. So it takes time to correct them by weaving through the court system. And that, of course, uh, leaves them out there as a voting enticement for people.
0: Um, You know what? What you brought up, let let me interject there. What you brought up is one of the plays of the Democratic Party. You know, they do Obamacare. It's illegal. They do DACA, the Delayed Action Against Childhood Arrival. Even President Obama said, I think it was 26 times, he did not have the legal authority to to extend uh, people staying in this country illegally, but yet he did it. All right, so these things are illegal. And the Republicans, so the Democrats move ahead and do the illegal thing. The Republicans come back and they are going to sue over Obamacare. They're going to sue over DACA. And that takes years to get a result from the from the court system. In the meantime, those policies have been in place. And once they've been in place for a while, it's very hard to remove them. You know, look at how many people fall under DACA today compared to when it started, I think it was in 2014. Um, there's millions and millions of people. So how do you go back and say, you know what? You can't stay here. Because now the Republicans are going to be bashed for being xenophobic, they're anti-immigration, and this is the smart playbook of the Republic of the Democrats and i I have mentioned to the Republicans you need to start doing these things and I say, well it's illegal do them and let them sue you and let them spend all their time in court in the meantime we're moving this way and it really needs to be flipped around to what they're doing and I appreciate you bringing that up
1: I going to tell and it's a fascinating analysis here by someone who has been there and participated in a lot of the futility that, uh, uh and frustration that you, the people feel when uh, you perceive that uh, things are, are, uh, cattywampus <laughs> in the uh, state of the union address by a disconnected president. Uh, it's nine twenty-six according to my clock right now, we got about four more minutes before we take a break, uh, uh, for the weather. If you have a, a comment, I'm looking at the chat line, the, uh, Record migrant surge across the border is something we haven't talked about yet, if you're just tuning in. Uh, The disconnect between uh, fentanyl and uh, uh, the border, he doesn't acknowledge there's any connection. Uh, And apparently there was quite a bit of shouting uh, about this when it came up. Ted, we can talk about that. Um, Like you, I could not stand to watch it. I would rather talk about it after the fact in a cold analysis climate, as we're doing now, looking at the speech without the theatrics and uh, having our own personal reaction to it based upon our uh, post of observation here with all this and our experiences. Um, Crime really hasn't been dealt with. Uh, That didn't get much attention, as I understand it, in this. It's kind of glossed over. Um, The the Democrat attitude toward crime has really uh, based upon um, circumstantial environmental situations have created the desperate act of the criminal. It's not the character of the criminal. And therefore, law enforcement has been put on their heels and the criminal protected. Um, This is leading to all sorts of angst among people who just want to feel safe when they go to the store or when they're at the gas station, they don't want to be kidnapped or carjacked or any of that sort of thing. Uh, So there's a lot of issues that are going begging And we'll continue to go begging unless we uh, voters can sharpen our pencils and make a good uh, reaction to some of this um, BS that we're getting here from the mouth of a professional politician. If you think about it, Biden, as uh, we pointed out, has been uh, just uh, hanging around for all these years, low these many years. And he was a useful vice president for uh, Obama because he wasn't really going to challenge Obama's moment on the stage much. He wasn't going to be drawing any attention away from the president. And then you know we got Kamala Harris. Um, you know uh, <laughs> one of the things that we uh, we do is we 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 don't like Biden, but we sure don't want him to fall down in office because then we're stuck with someone who even the Democrat Party is probably leaking negativity on to make sure that she doesn't run. Um, there's, there's a lot of discussion of that right now. And they're probably even leaking negativ- negativity on Uncle Joe to talk him out of running. So maybe we can get back yeah, to that in a all, moment.
0: That's all been mapped out. And Kamala Harris makes Joe Biden look good. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> golly. I mean. You start weighing those, too. It's like, oh, please don't give me that. Oh, um, my golly. But we have a mess on our hands in this country. And it's, it's going to be ugly to fix this. There's going to be some changes in, in spending programs, and people are going to be mad, and they're going to be rioting in the streets about this. But we can't go on the way we're going on. You know, the greatest threat since the Civil War, Biden said, with January 6th. breach. <laughs> keep in mind the reason for that. He said it's the greatest threat since the Civil War. Two years ago, our democracy. Our democracy faced its greatest threat since the civil war. It's the Republic, Joe, it's the Republic has faced a threat. The democratic process was under attack because I feel that this election was bleep. And I'm not going to say it. I want you to, (laughs) but it was not attained legally. And you're not going to convince me of anything different on that. And so the, the whole reason there was a Tea Party movement, there was a Trump elected to President Hill. The reason I got elected was there was a sense in America that America was changing, that nobody had the backs of the God-fearing, um, American-loving people. And now you get, uh, you know, the, our president saying that it was the biggest threat to our nation. No, it's not. What's going on is the biggest threat to our republic, and it's the Marxism policies, the equity The ESG scoring, corporations dictating ESG, which is environmental, social and governance scores, um, uh, dictating that the corporations are dictating that to government for policies that come out. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be we the people. And again, that's the purpose I see of programs like yours. And I'm fortunate to be able to be on here is that you get people informed and informed people will change government the way it's supposed to be.
1: And, you know, I learned something about the cleverness of alluding to the Civil War because yesterday I was speaking with a, a really a, 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 a minority. let us I don't know what word to use anymore. It's just a person to me, but you have to have these labels. He's a black gentleman, um, very erudite, polished, until we came upon January 6th, which he brought up. And I learned something from his reaction. He came unglued when he talked about January 6th because he had seen in the crowd, a Confederate flag. And to him, that meant that the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, all those people there who were not members of that group, by the way, who were just people frustrated, were racist. And suddenly I realized why uh, Biden uses that as a reference point, because that's a trigger. That's an emotional trigger that he can use to play the race card without actually saying the race card. And uh, it's sort of, So language is sort of coded, and one of the things I spent a lot of time with here is helping people understand the code. So uh, words don't mean to you what they mean to others who know the code, and that code has been going on for quite a while. Maybe we can talk about that in a moment. We're talking with Ted, Ted Yoho, and we really appreciate you all tuning in. We put this out on about 37 different platforms. And I was amazed. Calling. If you go out on Ward, just Google Ward Scott, and you'll see uh, Ward Scott Files. Just Google Ward Scott. uh, You'll see all these various platforms that are available to hear this discussion right here. I want to thank production for putting this up as soon as they can on the wardscottfiles.com. That website has about 95,000 hits a month. It's kind of amazing, really. So um, we do get these notes out of the bottle, and uh, we appreciate Ted. Uh, Coming on every Wednesday is a tremendous addition to the show. So we'll be back in a moment and discuss a little bit of the weather with you and then resume our discussion. Uh, Stay tuned on The Word Scott Files. the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Scott Files Gold Sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-The-Spot Dry Cleaners, r Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website www.WardScottFiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner
0: wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we
1: touch him? No, do oh, Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Word Scott Files and, and thank you, Lewis Oil, Wendell Lewis, for uh, giving us the opportunity to talk about the weather with you. Uh, we've got about 60 degrees here right now at the uh, outside the command center. We'll get up to about 80. Um, you know, it's interesting because people don't know when grass grows. Grass grows when the temperature, and I'm sure Taylor will correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, stays above 70 at night. And uh, we're getting near that number. Uh, it's not what the temperature is in the daytime. It's what it is at night. And when it's uh, 70 at night or above, uh, you've got growing grass. And we're actually getting some shoots here. And I'm watching the heads of the cattle as they find them. They'll find them right away. But we do have a risk of severe weather, possibly missing us in north-central Florida, but it's going to race across the south-central United States into Wednesday afternoon. It's going to have a uh, a potent storm system from the Rockies to the Mississippi Valley. Uh, It's a jet stream deal here, Uh, a southward dip in the jet stream, and it's going to strengthen as it swings in the lower Mississippi Valley uh, later today. So... The main threat of the severe weather will be on Interstate 10, 20, 40, and 55 corridors in Louisiana, Mississippi, and southeastern Arkansas. It'll pick up New Orleans, Monroe, and Alexander, Jackson, and and Vicksburg, and we have people watching our show from Mississippi. So um, y'all take care. It's just one of those things that happens when you get cold and warm air clashing, and it seems to happen right over the Mississippi Valley. So uh, I think we'll miss it here uh, in God Country in the north-central um, uh piney woods of Florida, and certainly Ted, who is right now in Bahamas, is not going to have to be hit with it um and i'm assuming I'm assuming he'll fly in and uh, get under the under the under the weather on that so uh okay. welcome back we 're welcome back not live, but Ted Yoho who joins us every Wednesday's tremendous asset to the show um We really appreciate him recognizing our platform as one by which he can um certainly spread his opinion, his analysis of what 's going on in political events. Uh, We need more of these kind of discussions, not fewer. And uh, there's so much misinformation, misdirection. Um, Most of all, it's from the mouths of the politicians, but unethically it's picked up and repeated and even expanded and distorted by the media, which uh, I guess um, has no more scruples anymore. I used to be that we, I think once upon a time, we sort of looked to the media as a check uh, point here to keep things straight and, and uh, honest, and somewhere it went askew. Um, one thing I do want to suggest, Ted, uh, which I was thinking about with this thing called State of the Union, um, you know, you can't really, it's not easy anymore to pull the wool over our eyes when a State of the Union message because we have so many, many sources of information, some obviously better than others. So that by the time this guy makes a, an address, We already know what he's going to say. We already know whether it's going to be uh, realistic or not. And it's anticlimactic. I never felt, for example, that I'd miss anything by missing him saying it. Uh, I could find other places. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Yeah, because he'll
0: say something different tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I didn't need to hear him say it. I needed to see him say it, and then we do exactly what we're doing now, react to it, and kind of straighten it out. So – that's what we're doing, listeners and viewers, and people who are uh, engaged in the words Scott files today. We're trying to straighten out uh what the code has been, uh, and these people really have a code they speak in. I've learned this from hanging around quote unquote the narrative, the acceptable narrative um, that I think Obama started. He got a professional writer, told him to write the story and then ship it out to the media, the media inept or lazy or. All of the above picked it up and ran with it because they didn't have to do complicit. The They're complicit. The complicit. And so now we search and play, sto- uh, shows like this. Uh, YouTube drops us because we violate their community standards. Well, what in the right. world are their community standards? They don't ever define them. Um, yes. Is there going to be any uh, pushback on this in the legislature? Someone has brought my attention to the fact there may be a bill filed or something that makes its way through the court system to hold, do you know anything about this, Ted, that will attempt to hold uh, uh, the feet to the fire of these uh, platforms that are censoring people? Have you heard about any of that?
0: Yeah, they're talking about that. Um, Ron DeSantis is doing that too in the state of Florida with some of his uh, pushback on the big tech companies. But this is something that is in Congress that there's a bill going through, and I forget who sponsored it, but they're looking at how these corporations are censoring people and you know you brought up the state of the union people can do real-time fact-checking right now on something that was said and um you know that has changed the dynamics the problem is you post that on a on a platform youtube or somebody like that if it doesn't fall in line with what the narrative they want to get out there like you're saying um they they remove that and we've seen that um, uh, under obama for for certain But under the uh, COVID um, epidemic or pandemic, where if it wasn't what the the institution or whether it was government or a drug company, if it wasn't didn't fit into their narrative or Fauci, uh, they made sure it got suppressed. But now we're finding out some of that stuff that was suppressed was actually very factual and it would have changed what these companies were doing.
1: Well, certainly the suppression of the Hunter uh, Biden uh, laptop, probably from what you know, I've list for responsible analysis here, might have changed the midterms pretty significantly because uh, had that been revealed that it was what it was and publicly uh, presented, it might have tipped the scales.
0: Well, it's strongly. well documented. If, and you've seen the polls where people said if they knew that back then, they would not have voted for Biden, I think. I saw numbers as high as 74% said they would not have supported Biden. And, you know, this is, again, it's a very dangerous thing, but you brought up something that got me thinking. Look at the narrative. If we just go back to the Trump years, I mean, we can go back to Obama and Clinton and all that. We, yeah, let's go to Clinton, because I think this was one of the first egregious things when Benghazi happened. Look at how this administration, and they put Susan Rice, who is still in government today, under the Obama uh, Ob- uh, the Biden administration, I keep wanting to call him the old Biden administration. (laughs) She was out there for two weeks with the direction of Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State, that the reason for Benghazi was of that subpar video that was supposedly anti-Muslim. And it was nothing to do with that. It was a failure of leadership. Look at um, how we move forward. With um, the under Adam Schiff, thank God he's off of that committee about the whole Russia hoax and that there was collusion between Trump and Russia. How they ran with that, and they've done that, and they have never been held accountable. But yet, and then you know, uh, President Obama didn't want to give his birth certificate. uh, All these things, and then you go to to the Republican side with Trump. Trump puts out his birth certificate. He didn't want to do his tax returns. I don't blame him. I don't think that should be. No one. Um, You know, if he's following the rules, that's up to the IRS and the court system to hold him accountable. Um, Hunter Biden, he won't come clean. Trump comes clean when they did the investigation and he wanted that people wanted to see his emails. Um, He released everything with his phone call with Zelensky. Trump was out there. The Republicans in general are like, here, look at it. The Democrats run from it and suppress the truth and hide the truth. And it's a it's a dichotomy between the two parties, and it really goes to the underlying feeling of um, uh, their political ideology and the way they operate. One is tr- more truthful. One is really deceptive. And I don't want the deceptive people running my country. And unfortunately, they control two-thirds of our government right now. You
1: know, excellent, excellent uh, comments. And uh, I couldn't... Uh... This beautiful thing you say, because Benghazi is a very good place to start. Yeah. Oh boy, what a propaganda deal that was. The only person I Man, would have added to the, uh, to the list people. of villains, the only yeah. person I would have added to the list of villains is Lois Lerner. Uh, oh, yeah. She's still, on, great... she's still on the payroll. Yeah.
0: She's still on the payroll. And so they're just recycling these same people that have led to failed policies. And I, I view them as anti-American policies. And why in the hell they're still in government, I don't understand. And it comes down to the American voters. You know, the American voters have to wake up. um, But they're busy in their life. You know, whether it's running kids' basketball plays or games and practices and, you know, recitals and all that stuff and having to watch the football game on the weekends, they're busy. And you've got both parents usually working if there's both parents in the house. And we've gotten too busy in society to really pay attention the thing that we really should be the people that are running our government and if you don't like the results throw them out
1: you know one of the little uh metaphors i have i don't know if i've shared this with you is what i call the midnight auto yard and when i was a kid you know uh you know if you needed a hubcap to a henry j i don't know if you remember the henry j or yeah. the etsel i mean i might be dating myself now but uh you know you could go to the you could go to a uh, salvage yard and you could say to the guy there hey man I got a Henry J. If you got a hubcap for Henry J. He said, yeah, let me go back in here to the 21st row back here where the grass is growing up through the dashboard. I think I got one back there. And, you know, yeah, he didn't to, it look to look
0: the computer it, to see where it was.
1: Yeah, he'd sell it <laughs> for a couple of bucks. So I have a midnight auto yard for things I read that I don't necessarily use when I read them, okay? But I figure yeah. they're going to be there back on that, back row of the salvage yard if I need them. And here's one I want to present to you. It was published in the Wall Street Journal, August 20th, Okay, written by a man named Richard Vetter, who was Emeritus Professor of Economics at Ohio University. I read it with interest, but I never used it on the show. So now it seems to me this is a pretty good time to do a, a, a reality check, and I'm going to go through what he said And why he said it, he said he posed the question, can the U.S. become exceptional again? And then he answered his own question by saying the following. First of all, we would have to correct a sharply declining work ethic. I didn't hear that addressed in the State of the Union.
0: You know, I hear that all the time from our uh, employers and manufacturers.
1: So true. The other thing he said is we would have to correct our declining sense of fiscal responsibility. Well, we haven't done that. We have the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the Inflation Creation Act, (laughs) right?
0: That that fits perfectly into that definition of the word sophistry.
1: (laughs) Now this is August of last year, the man wrote this, okay? Now get this one. We have to correct this growing disrespect for laws, rules, and uh, religious commandments. Well. You talk, how can you correct disrespect for law when the government modus operandi is to put it out there and wait for the courts to catch us and correct it, but it's going to take 10 or 15 years for them to do it? Well, then
0: you have people like the squad, my uh, former colleague from New York, uh, calling for defunding the police, and you, you, you don't think that's going to lead to what we have today? I mean, these people are just absolutely insane, ignorant. Then he says, we
1: would have to correct our decline in respect for free markets and the rising collectivism that is eroding investment and entrepreneurship.
0: Rising collectivism. That's communism.
1: Yeah. And, you know, to complicate that, we have the subsidies that government is giving corporations to create products that address, quote, unquote, Green energy. Right. The main one of which is the electric car. And uh, we ran the, I I have to confess to my audience here that you turned me on to that absolutely great commentary in uh, in Congress there about the paradox of thinking that green energy is going to save the planet from fossil fuel uh, corruption, if you will, of the climate. When you're going to need fossil fuel to create the batteries.
0: Well, you know, it'd be a good time to plug Tom McClintock from California. He's a Republican congressman. And it was on the Natural Resource Committee hearing. And people can look this up. Tom McClintock, California Natural Resource Committee hearing on uh, EV, electric vehicle. Um, What did he call it? Lunacy or nonsense? Um, I can't remember. We played it. Yesterday. I'm one of the smartest people I know in Congress. I mean, just super smart guy. Very well, I don't
1: know who he was grilling because we never got the <laughs> camera over there. Do you know who he might have be been talking
0: to? Well, they had some, uh, uh, some administration um, people in there for witnesses. And so he was doing that, but also the Democratic Party. He was scolding them. And, um, you know, you get a recycling of these things. It, and it, it'll be a good argument this Congress. You know, the next Congress come, you get new people in there. And that's one of the problems with term limits is you get the new people so that the bureaucracy can hoodwink them and bring these things forward and say, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And it takes a very smart, educated person knowing the foundations of this country to fight off of that stuff. The debt ceiling, the debt ceiling is going to be a big, a big uh, 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 argument coming up. And it has to be done by September 30th, the the funding of the government. And, uh, you know, this falls into line with that last comment you had read um, from the Wall Street Journal, that article. And, you know, I want to just look at have people go to Steve Scalise introduces the CAP Act uh, to control runaway spending. And I like Steve Scalise but this was written in 2009. The CAP Act was Control America's purse Strength, kind of like the, the, the Reduction Act. Um, the American, um, what was it called? American Reduction Act, uh, the one they just passed.
1: Oh, that, 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 the Inflation Reduction.
0: Inflation Reduction Act, all right. This is 2023, 20, 2009, Steve Scalise wrote, he says, we need to restore fiscal responsibility in Washington. And put an end to this out of control spending and massive debt that's being dumped onto our children and grandchildren. In 2009, I'd venture to say our debt was probably 10 to 12 billion or trillion dollars. The first rule of of a hole states that when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. And it goes on and just says Congress um, um, are, they, they blame the deaf liberals for running Congress how they continue to destroy our economy with reckless spending and radical policies like government takeover of healthcare and their cap and trade energy tax. Um, and they're running millions of jobs out of the country. That's true, but they're still doing it. And, you know, this was Steve Scalise had this great bill, but he's still there and our debt is bad. And if this was somebody working in your corporation, that was one of the managers and he's been there since 2009, and it's 2023, that's what, 14 years? Um, they can't do the job, get them out. That's where term limits really needs to come, and the American people need to un- be informed about their their elected leaders, and they need to vote those suckers out and get the right person in there. And don't be ashamed to throw them out the next election. They do not own that job that or that seat. We own it. We the people owns that.
1: You know, his last point here is one that um... – is so perplexing and paradoxical and arise rise in ignorance. And the gentleman right, writes, right. despite having immediate access to more information than their parents could have dreamed of, today's youth increasingly know less about the world around them. Um, you know, I think it's because, well, when you go to Europe, for example, people know three or four different languages. Um, they 'll know that when i that I found that they knew American history better than the students I was teaching knew american history yeah, they I mean, had read our, they had they had read our great writers they had right. read william Faulkner they had read these people our, you know we don't have anybody in this country reading any literature and getting their ideas from anywhere but Uh, the writers who actually chronicled the nation's uh, history. Um, So we've got this paradoxical situation where we got more information but less wisdom. And one of the reasons I think we have that is the censorship. We have got this politically acceptable and DeSantis is attacking that here. and, And God bless him. I mean, you know, he's not about not teaching history. He just doesn't want an adjective in front of the noun so that you uh, corrupt history by uh, looking at it in a very narrow and self-serving way. Um, But we don't think, you know, we just, it's a very unusual situation to have a governor. I don't know of any situation I can remember when we had a governor that would take on these giant issues like Disney uh, the Reedy Taxing District, uh, <clears throat> race theory. And what really gets me about this, I, I watched uh, uh, some people the other day who were anti dissent of course, and they blamed all of his policies on, well, he's doing this to run for president. I haven't heard him say once, maybe you correct me, that he's running for president. He says he's oh. running the state of Florida. he's he's doing what the people in the state of Florida elected him to do.
0: Well, when you have a government that doesn't abide by the law of the land, which is the Constitution, they start encroaching on states' rights. And so, you know, you get those things as a Biden and the Democrats would claim or, you know, the uh, big media that it was an insurrection in government uh, on January 6th. It wasn't an insurrection. It was people voicing their concerns. And you brought up that friend of yours that you're just talking about, the biggest threat, and I get asked this a lot, the biggest threat to our nation, I start off with it's ignorance, it's our debt, and it's China, and ignorance is something we can correct and we need to, and so you get a DeSantis that sees an encroaching federal government that's moving in on states' rights, and thank God there's people like him or uh, 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 Cabot out there and. Texas and these other states that are starting to stand up strong like Governor DeSantis and pushing back to the federal government so no, this is our state. This is what we'll do. And um, if, the, if the federal government won't abide by the Constitution, then it does fall on the states to do that. And I'm thankful Ron's there and doing what he's doing.
1: And the abortion issue is a perfectly good example. It's not anybody was against abortion or for. That's not the issue. It shouldn't be right. in the Constitution. Not in the Constitution. Against-
0: It's a state's issue. It's a state's issue. And let them argue it out at the state. And if it falls where there's no abortion, well, then the people of that state are free to leave or try to change government. Or, you know, if it's against abortion, same thing. Uh, And we're going through this with our Second Amendment, our First Amendment, and all from the national level. You see what the federal government's doing on First and Second Amendment rights. Look what they did on um, uh, uh, the Fourth Amendment with uh, President Trump. Illegal search and seizures, these people in Virginia that were speaking out against the school board, um, you know, and the list just goes on. You're seeing a very powerful federal government. And if you compare our government today to what our founders did pre-revolution as they wrote the the Declaration of Independence and their grievances against the crown, the grievances that this government is doing are far worse than what they were doing back in the 1700s.
1: Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. I mean, yeah. um, there's no, there's, you know, the federal government is um, out, of, out of control.
0: Well, and- I think the best way for us to control is stop paying them. You know, I'm trying to devise a way that we can stop sending our taxes. We'll pay our taxes. Uh, we'll put them in an escrow account and starve the government and just say they're going to be in an offshore escrow account. And uh, when you start abiding by the Constitution, like secure the border don't give us this garbage. It's secure. It is not. It's an invasion on not just our southwest border, but our Florida coast and all of our northwest or all of our northern coast uh, borders between us and Canada. It's just as porous there as it is everywhere else or as the southwest It's just not being reported. Again, it's media censoring. That's
1: pretty interesting. We'll have to talk about that again, uh, put sure. the taxes in an escrow. Unfortunately, we unfortunately out of town. It's really been a great conversation. It's gone very fast and uh, as I say we'll be out on about 37 different platforms and uh, you may listen to it or view it either one uh, whenever you have the time to do so and some just of you want to let you
0: know me. how special you are because this is our 48th anniversary in the Bahamas and Carol said <laughs> I can take an hour off of Ward Scott Files
1: I'll be darned boy I tell you what that is really uh, that's going to get me the price of a hot dog no <laughs> 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 no I'm not I'm not kidding you know Well, you know, I just believe in what I'm doing. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I I just believe in somebody's got to push back. I mean, I'm thankful for the opportunity to do it, and I'm thankful that people, I can still do it, and my mind works, and uh, i got people who want to chime in and help me do it. So it's really teaching. It's just an extension of teaching for me. Uh, And, you know, people have to take what they hear in class and do what they can with it. And hopefully they got they got some they're, they're better for having come to class than they were for having missed it. You know, that's the way I look at it. But anyway, great seeing you. Have a, a good trip back, and we'll talk soon. Um, Thank you. Talk with take Ted. Take take care, brother. What command center out. I-